Hello and welcome to another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I'm joined once again with Marin Tataroff. Marin, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me again. I love your show. I always listen in the car. It's so great to be here. You get, you actually you actually drive and and use it. You well, do you work from home or do you commute or is it mostly for for trips? Well, I do work from home. Been working remotely for a long time, but our kindergarten the way is a little bit nasty. Goes through the train station. It's a long way, so I have my daily commute actually to the kindergarten and back. So, what does the kindergartner think of the podcast? All right. Good topics, a good pace. She generally likes it. <laughs> oh, well, well, on my way, on my way in, I listen to podcasts on the way back. We'll listen to fairy tales. So I think it's a, I think it's a okay. fair deal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm same boat. Yeah. A couple of times I've had kids in the car and I usually don't listen to my podcast, to be honest with you. Big surprise. Cause I already have to edit it anyways. <laughs> but like one time I'll put it on and they'll be like, daddy, that's your voice. That's a pretty good, you got a pretty good podcast dad. They're very nice. They're very nice about it. Even though I can tell it's probably super boring for them. <laughs> yeah. So let's get into it. We're going to talk about your new app today. You want to give an intro to the app and where you came up with the idea for it? Right. So yeah, currently it's on the app store. It's called Data Tile for Simulator, as we just discussed before recording. And so what it does, the short pitch is that it's widgets for debugging. And so when you log to Apple's unified log in your app, it doesn't matter where, is it an iPhone app, is it a watch app and so forth. Data Tile runs as a companion app to Xcode and just picks up valuable logs from the simulator and just shows you a little widgets on screen to visualize your data. If you're logging numbers, it can show you charts. If you're logging progress, it can show you progress bars and so forth. It just makes debugging much easier, much more intuitive, adds a little bit of color to it. That's it. Yeah, it's awesome. We talked about how I used it this weekend for, for the GB app that I work on. How does the app actually work? Like, how does it get the logs and then being able to build a chart based on that or display the text? Right. So, so the technical details are there's this tool that comes with Xcode, the simulated control. So sim CTL on the command line, and you can automate some tasks with it for the simulator, right? Like, so people would use it to set up the sim for tests or like spawn a bunch of simulators to, to verify their screenshots and things, things like that. And so you can control the sim. And so data tile is also using the same tool to read the logs from the unified log in your front most running sim through that control command line tool. And so it gets the fire hose of all of the processes log in your simulator. So okay. like if you're making nice. um, network calls or if you're making Bluetooth connections and things like this, a lot of Apple's frameworks log to the same central place as well. And if you log using the Apple's logs, they also go into that same central place. It reads this whole spurious amount of text and just filters for the ones that come from your app and the ones that look like some available data. And based on what exactly you log, picks them apart and says, okay, here there's something that says 20%, it must be a progress bar. Bang, it makes a progress bar. If something else, it can, can guess like a bunch of types and makes widgets for them automatically. Uh, yeah, that's the biggest, most impressive thing about it is I love how simple it is to set up. And also just how it knows, oh, this is going to be a number. We'll display it like a graph. And it knows, oh, you're using an equal sign as a separator or a column. It's just super easy to integrate 
into existing app. It doesn't require like a like a third party library, anything like that. It just works right out of the box. I love it. Um, and also interesting, you're talking about simulator control because I've I've actually been deep diving into that. I'll have a video coming out about how to fake sign in with Apple on the simulator using Vapor and Sim Control. And there's a lot you could do with Sim Control. It's it's really powerful. I don't know, like I, I could go on and on about it, but there's a surface level of, oh, I want to record a video or take a screenshot command line. But there's a lot to, to Sim Control that people don't even realize. Right, yeah. What, what did you find mo most interesting that, that it allowed you to do? So you can't do sign in with Apple on the simulator, on the Apple Watch simulator, I should say specifically. And with GP, for instance, we need to do that. And sometimes, I don't know if this, but debugging on a hardware Apple Watch doesn't work 30% of the time. So, or if it does work, it's super slow. So I want to be able to sign in with Apple using, um, and it's a vapor backend. I want to be able to sign in with Apple on the watch simulator. So what I do is I track the whatever you send off of the iOS simulator to sign in with Apple, whatever the, the, the JSON is, I save that to every existing simulator, watch simulator that has, I save it like to the temp data container. And then when you run the Apple watch simulator, it looks for that file just like it would in the, in the, in the data container. And then it uses that to try to sign fake sign on with Apple on my backend server. And it, now I can actually like run the app and sign in with Apple, well, sign in with Apple using the simulator. So yeah, it's, that's a really powerful tool for, for me to just to get, get going on Apple watch development. I don't know if that made right. sense, so, but yeah, it, it does. Yeah. I think this tool is, is exactly the angle that it just offers so many possibilities to automate things that otherwise would be so cumbersome to do by hand. Just yeah. what you're doing, detect things and then communicate, especially when there's few simulators involved. I think that's just crazy. I was just going to say like the Vapor app will just call Sim Control to like find out what simulators you got running and then save the request to the to the watch as a file. And then I'm good to go, like, which is really powerful. Yeah, I think, I think, I think, especially for testing things, for recreating whole, whole scenes, if you want to call them, like, mm -hmm. you know, when right. the, when the app is, is having some kind of data stored in documents, but not in, in somewhere else and so forth. So just setting up like a whole scene, let's call it like for you to jump on the simulator and test some certain behavior in given conditions. I think that's great. It's amazing. Yeah, 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 and I, I was really excited also to, <laughs> to to just see all the options that that show up when you when you type in sim, sim control help is like woo, yeah. Oh, seriously, yeah. So I have the get app container and like the the list stuff. I have that all set up. I'll put a link yeah. in my Swift package that I'm currently trying to finish up in case folks are interested. But there's a lot. If if people want to add a new command, please feel free. But so so yeah, sim control super powerful. What were the biggest challenges, though, in building this app? So I don't know if you've seen it before. Maybe you've seen it, but like this last year, I've built a whole bunch of, of different developer tools that like basically tackled like small problem and so, something like that. And so I, I would usually just make my coffee in the morning and then like time box about a couple of hours. And I will post live updates on Twitter to see like how far I go. Within, within this couple couple of hours. And and this was like one of these ideas. I basically made a coffee and then made a little 
rectangle and in affinity photo with a number in it and i was like hmm, this is great like this is what i want to have i want to while i'm debugging frameworks or, or command line tools or anything that doesn't necessarily have a easily adjustable ui basically i would like be able to like have a maybe a small piece of ui somewhere on the side where i can see data that 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 I'm testing or I'm, I'm trying out like more prominently. And so within a couple of hours, I had a little window that showed a number that also changed and animated a little bit. And and, th and this was great. And so like the, the idea to show a number on screen is not that, that complicated, but I was really dedicated to make it a product. And so this took a long time. This took the most time, I think. The first challenge was I was thinking, okay, so it's going to be an app, but it doesn't fit into the sandbox because it needs to read the system log and therefore it will be a problem for a lot of people to use at work and also like at home just for hobbies as well it might be an issue who knows if they cannot install from especially for people at work if they cannot install outside of the app store or it's difficult to get an approval for this kind of thing so regardless yep. so one of the goals was go to the go to go into the sandbox make it work into the sandbox basically increase the potential audience and this was a kind of a challenge but uh, it turned out that from the sandbox, you can read the simulator's lock stream. And so I had to, for the moment, leave aside command line tools, something that I felt strongly for the possibility to work with iOS apps, watch OS apps and TV apps. So this was the one thing that, that was, was a, it was a hill, but I got over it. The other thing that, that really tripped me over at a point was I wanted to make a 100% SwiftUI app. So for this app, I wanted to start from the beginning and only use SwiftUI for everything. And so this was a, a point was challenging, but it was still possible. And I was really happy with it. However, I used only the latest and greatest SwiftUI. And so it was a nice process and so forth. But during the beta, a lot of people that were trying out the application said, hey, by the way, I don't want to upgrade right now to Ventura, I want to wait yeah. out until server. So before the release, I decided to lower the, the, the requirements and, and be compatible with the Mac OS 12 and basically giving up the set of features that they added last year to SwiftUI was really difficult. I was going to say, um, there's like, you, you yeah. do a lot of chart stuff and I'm like, you really want to get let go of that and just for Monterey. So yeah. how did that go? So Swift charts. Swift charts. I had to give up Swift charts. I had to give up the new navigation system in Swift UI. And I had yeah. to give up most importantly the new APIs that allow you to open windows and pass data into them. Yeah. And so these three things were 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 a little bit of a bummer to to give up. So I had to recreate like what these APIs do in code. Yeah. It wasn't easy, but I mean it kind of works. I think there's I think in but the initial version that is right now in the app store, there's still a couple of visual glitches when you open new windows, maybe sometime. Okay. So, but it's something that I'm going to work on. Um, yeah. Naturally. So it's funny you talk about that because we've been talking offline about I've been building my own Mac app bushel and like I kind of regret supporting Monterey in a lot of ways because I've had to do the same thing with opening windows. Like I, we have this discussion with Sarah, but like, yeah, just, I have to use URLs. That's basically how I ended up doing it is using URLs and URL listeners to open new windows. Cause there was just no way I can get around the, that lack of it's, it's nice. And now I'm like, man, should I just say screw it and only support Ventura? It's like already been released for what five, six months now. It's like, 
But like, I already have all that code in there. So it's like, well, maybe it's not worth it. So yeah, I can understand that. Are you still happy with the fact that you support Monterey? As an indie app, I don't think it has the far and wide reach so that the additional amount of people who are in Monterey will make a difference for the adoption. Right, right. But I think it's the right thing to do. I think it was the right thing to do, right? It's an app for developers, and I do know that developers tend to stay behind for a given time on the previous version and would have been a little bit in your face, (laughs) kind of, if I released it only for Ventura. I just wanted to say about Chart, actually. So uh, this was an interesting, it was an interesting moment because I actually gave up on Charts before lowering the requirements. Because at a given point, yeah, at a given point, I noticed that when I was doing stress testing and leaving the app to run for like a few hours with like a huge amount of, of, of updates per second. So I was testing something with like 300, 400 logs per second, just leaving it to run for a really long time. And then I noticed that sometimes when I come back to my desk, like the computer would have would have restarted in the meantime. And so, and this was like That's really so weird. It's not good, yeah. <clears throat> That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> and and so yeah, and so and there were no crash logs and no error logs and nothing that I could actually like track back to being the cause of it. The only thing that I found in in the system log was that there would be a GPU panic. And then after recreating a few times, I managed to find out that basically, yeah, as the app is updating, the screen would glitch and then there will be like a little freeze and the mouse will be a little bit unresponsive and a little bit later, the computer will restart. And so it it seems to be something with the GPU that that is going very wrong. Um, I couldn't track it down, but at a point I was desperate. And so I was tr- just trying out, like commenting out code, just like, like monkey debugging or so, like, I don't know mm-hmm. how it's called, but like, yeah. after commenting out Swift charts, it turned out that then I don't have this problem anymore. So it seems that running the Mac app with Swift UI charts and the same on the side somehow caused the GPU to just completely go nuts and then the whole system was down but since there's no way to debug if you don't have like nothing to go off you can really figure it out so that's why when i figured out that this is really the reason and like it was reproducible and 100 percent dependable that this is the cause of the problem then i removed it and just made the charts myself and that's that's solved the problem somehow did you file like on it they require a that they, they require a sample app and that this meant that I have to like put in the, the app in, in its <laughs> in completeness. Just putting a Swift UI chart in an empty window didn't really do it. So I tried you need to the like simulator fi- running at the same time. Well, the the log that was in the system log said that the that the GPU panic originated from the sim render server. Okay. So it was and and this is the problem. Like this made it so wild because this, the charts are running in the in the Mac process. Right. And and the panic was caused by the sim render server. But yeah. they none of them caused it like separately. Only like right. it was yeah, it was a very difficult issue to track down. Interesting. Yeah. yeah so but in the app you you support bar charts, <laughs> right? Is there anything else you support as far as what kind of information you display? Right. So I have I have bar charts for the charts. I have progress bars, a switch for okay. Boolean values, and then the rest is just text. And okay. I also have, and I also have timers that show up like it's a it's a mixture of some text and, and some 
just little images. Yeah. Okay. What was there anything else you want to talk about when it comes to Swift UI on them? I think I just like felt like sharing that I had doubts because previously I used to run into issues, especially with UI for Mac with Xcode 13, for example, I often had like, compilers sometimes would hang quite often. If you like put in the wrong curly brace somewhere would just right. cause it to like lose, lose its mind. But with Xcode 14, I must say it's been great. I have not had any hangs in Xcode. I didn't have any mm -hmm. with the compiler. It looks like everything is much more stable. So just in case there's somebody out there wondering if SwiftUI is ready for production, <laughs> my answer is yes. I think people should go with SwiftUI by default. Yeah. And I think and, like, I mean, like, I think like with AppKit, like there's a lot you can do there that you can't do in SwiftUI or you might have experience with it. But I think the biggest challenge is just going to be long-term maintenance of an AppKit app at this point. Cause like, that would be the thing I would be afraid of as much as like, oh yeah, AppKit, I can do everything I want to do. But like in two or three years, it's going to be like an uphill battle trying to maintain an app like that. Most probably, yeah. And and also uh, what, I, what I was thinking a lot about, because as I said, one of my goals was 100% Swift UI. So, and then, and then at a point I had to like stop, stop and, and sit down and really think about like, what does that mean? Because like, and this application is, is it, is it AppKit or is it Swift UI or, and it's notification center, is it, is it AppKit or is it Swift UI? Right, so right. There, there's a whole bunch of classes that are, that are not Swift UI per se but right. they're necessary for an app to, to use like the system. Um, mm -hmm. And so I came up with the, with the, with the summary that kind of like the, the idea that I have a Swift UI app and for certain things, I have to reach out to other classes that are part of AppKit or Cocoa. But as long as this is the exception and the app is defined by being a Swift UI app, I think that's a hundred percent Swift UI app. Yeah, yeah, totally. I want to jump back. I want to talk to what, what we talked about before the show, because we talked about the, getting it into the app store and sandboxing. Mm -hmm. There, What were some limitations you ran into with sandboxing? And kind of, yeah, well, just that first. Let's start with that. Right. So sandboxing was, was something that I tried early on. And, you know, the design of the app is basically a very straightforward pipeline, right? Like it, it reads an input and then it just processes it, filters it, and then finds interesting data and then shows the UI. So it's kind of like a mostly one way data flow um, mm -hmm. from the input to like the output, which is the UI. And so I could basically have diff few different input consumers. And so at first the input consumer was actually starting a binary on, on the system and reading the standard output. So this would be very useful for command line tools and things like this. So mm -hmm. this is the first thing I tried. And then I was like, okay, maybe it will be actually much nicer if instead of reading the standard output for which you need privileges on the system, read the log for which you don't, and you don't have to start a binary and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I did that. And then at this point I thought, okay, this is, I have these two and this is great. But at this point, I think to go to the app store, because I feel that this product is something that, you know, a wide range of people could use to, to improve their productivity. And as soon as I enabled the sandbox, I got an error message saying log, the, the system log cannot be read from the sandbox. So this seems to be a hard limitation and there is no way around it. It's, it's the one thing that I used a technical support ticket with Apple and they confirmed that you can't read a system from the sandbox 
even if you're pseudo and so forth. And so, so this is why I decided to go for supporting the simulator first, since you can read the system's log from the sandbox, but not the machine's log. And so maybe this is the second step, because a lot of people have asked me on, on release day, even though it was specifically for the sim, actually, almost all of the questions that I got back from people on Product Hunt or on Twitter and Mastodon, I think, I think probably over 90% were about how about if I want to debug a Mac app or like yeah. debug something on my machine? So obviously a non-sandbox version will be like a, a next step for that. I just need to yeah. figure out how uh, to handle payments and dates and so forth. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you could do is just allow some sort of place where you can read stuff and have, especially if it's a Mac app you're developing or a command line tool, just have it pipe the log to a specific place that data tile could read. I mean, you could go that route. Then that um, way you don't have to... Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. We're yes, it could possibly have a WebSocket. Like, there, there's many ways to consume the logs. Um, but this was one of my other, so I had like few principles that I wanted to follow in this app. And one of the principles was no dependencies and no yeah, code right. changes. Yeah, and so that makes sense. I, like the least effort to adopt the app. So if you use Apple's log, Logs go into the to the unified log. They disappear after a while. It's all ephemeral, so it doesn't really leave any traces. You might be already using them anyways, mm -hmm. and so it's a very lean process. To you could be already logging this way, or to start logging, you don't have to like change your project or anything. Just use Apple's mm -hmm. Apple's uh, APIs to do this. And 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 I really wanted to find a solution that doesn't doesn't require you to change or add to your project. And okay. you just literally just install and start working. So yeah, I think that a non-sandbox version is a is a good idea in this case. Maybe a WebSocket is a better idea. I'm still trying to figure out like how to how to be how to serve the most the most people with this app. Yeah, but yeah, first should, I need to, as I said, I think first I need to ship a few more uh, UI improvements and maybe a few more features for the for the app that is in the App Store right now. And then we'll see about the uh, the next big step. We'll have to talk offline if there's a way we could we could work with Bushel on on faking logs or getting logs from from a Mac Mac simulator to, to data <laughs> tile. Maybe once I once I get back into that app finally, yeah, because that would be super useful. But like like you said, I mean, I do think like a f by far the largest audience is going to be iOS developers. We all know that, right? So I think you've covered that pretty well with data tile. And you, you talked about kind of a bit about what you want to do. What do you, yeah, what are some things that you want to do before you jump into to unsandboxing this app or supporting <laughs> Mac OS? Right. So I think the I think one of the best things about how the app works is that it actually doesn't depend on, on your code very much. It depends on Apple's unified log, which is something that Apple ships with your system. And therefore it's pretty independent from exactly what are you doing? What I, what I found out, I think it was two weeks ago is that actually the, the app also works with, with React Native apps because I saw they can that, also yeah, write to which the is system awesome. Log. Yeah. Yeah. This was so fun. Wait, it was a little choppy. Wait, hold on. There's but, like yeah. React Native apps out there? I thought people just use Swift. I didn't know this. Oh my gosh. What a oh, revelation. No, they, they use a whole bunch of languages <laughs> because huh. like you can also use it with Objective-C. It also writes to, to the unified right, log as right. well. And then I also, and I also thought, huh, there's like so many other different kind of technologies. There's, there's Flutter, there's Kotlin. I mean, all of these 
all these people should also be logging somewhere. I mean, for sure. Right. I think that the, the first thing that I, that I want to do is just to figure out like if these people are actually served by Yap and, and how this can help them make that more prominent. And then, and then come the, the updates, right? Like I need to figure out at least a couple of glitches in the UI that came from lowering the uh, OS requirement. Mm -hmm. There, there's a list of maybe five, six features that people required, mostly the log is a fire hose. There's a yeah. lot of things that lock to it, uh, including all kind of like system stuff. So sometimes there is noise that that will just pop up in your in your data tile app that looks like something useful that you're logging, but it's actually in like a framework putting there a bunch of just characters and stuff like that. So building building an ignore list that kind of like ignores whole frameworks like URL session yeah. uh, noise <clears throat> or Bluetooth noise and so forth that you don't need things like that so that you can just refine a little bit more what the app does automatically for you. That'd be great. Okay. Some features like people requested that they want to control if the app jumps to the foreground when you, when you run the sim or just stay somewhere behind so that you can decide when do you, when you want to see it or not, because if it's on a, if it's on a second monitor, that's fine. It can just stay there forever. It doesn't really matter. But right. a lot of people use just, just laptop, and it really makes difference for them <laughs> if it jumps to the front anytime they run the sim. So, and a, li a little bit more on the settings side. It's a power app, so it needs a little bit ways to configure things, how to behave, and and what to do. And then, and then that's it. And that's one. This is taken care of. I think just more widgets. Like I think, I, and and this is one thing that I really want to hear from users about is what kind of data they're logging to their logs and what will help them as, as a widget because charts and numbers switches and progress bars is probably something that i'm that i'm really sure that that people will use but i haven't seen how it's it's very personal so i just want to hear like what what people put in their logs and, and what will help them right you know, to see there yeah what and that's it what when we talked earlier about the issue you ran into with Swift UI charts, what kind of like performance stuff did you find as you built the app where you like had to change something underneath to make sure that it was more optimized for not not getting in the way of of someone's iOS app, so to speak? Right. So so this is a I think this is a very, very it's a let me call it profound question because it, it comes from experience. It's, so it's a debug app. It's, it's something that is a companion for your, for your Xcode. And so therefore you don't want it to impede you know, like your development process, which is right. the main thing you're doing. So first of all, uh, Apple's unified log is very, 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 very fast because it's not meant to be consumed in real time. This is, this is mm. the main point. Everything okay. goes into a binary format that is ephemeral. As much work as possible is delayed to the, to the point where you decide to consume it. And therefore, since the app is streaming that live, it also adds a little bit of overhead. Luckily, the process is that first you decide you know, which app are you, are you working with? So that already filters the log like to a, to a big, to a big, to a big amount to, to like mm -hmm. a certain app, but it does add a little bit of, of overhead, of course. And so. One thing that I had to do, and I really, I really loved it when I did it, <laughs> was that the app would, the app would track how many logs it receives per second. So it basically tracks the velocity of the log, uh, okay. and therefore, it just counts logs per second. And you, if you, there's a little sub sub subtitle in each tile, and you can click a few times, you will see different kind of data. And so one of them is logs per second, and uh, 
and I had to fine tune the behavior of the input consumer so that I know like if it's if you're logging very rarely, let's say once per second, that basically renders every update with a little neat animation and so forth. But if you're logging like a hundred times per second, something interesting, that doesn't really mean like it doesn't make sense to update the UI every time, right? Like and mm. if you don't throttle that in any way, this really drives Swift UI into 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 crazy mode and, and like this really eats up CPU time as well. Yeah. And so forth and so forth. And so I had to make the model basically self-adjust for like the amount of logs that you're what you're doing. So the more you log, the more the model will throttle and then you will still see like a reasonable amount of updates so that right. you can but not too many per per perceive the updates, but like not all of them, right? So that right, it right. doesn't really consume a CPU core for you. And so this was very you interesting. Went... Like it had to do a lot of fine tuning, like to find out like how yeah. much is reasonable to see while you're trolling and so forth. And so you still have to like update update the data, but just like throttle the UI. So it was, this was this was a fun task. It was a it was yeah, a fun I thing to do. So <laughs> this is Swift UI. This is Swift UI updating. What did you, if you mind me asking, what did you use for the reactivity of the Swift UI view and making sure that you're like, did you use combine async stream or what, like, how did you, how did you do that? I'm really curious. Cause I don't, we don't hear a lot about like high performance Swift UI apps. Right. So, so I think the whole, like the whole consumer part of the pipeline and the data modeling part of the pipeline is very, um, I forgot the word. What's the opposite of reactive? Model it's, it's just as simple. No, no, it's just as simple Swift code as it gets. Like there's no okay. tricks. There's no nothing of it. It's just the simplest, yeah. fastest code that you can write. So, and so this feeds everything into the data model in basically the fastest possible way. And from there, there's a, there's an app model that uses combined to communicate to each of the models that drives every window in the data tile, because you can be monitoring several apps at the right. same time. Right. And then each window would then split the stream into several, basically tile models that drives right. every tile. Based on the me whatever metric. Okay. So when you do the right. throttling, you're trying to do that way early on before you even get to combine. And you want to do it as fast and quickly as possible, it sounds like, right? Right, but I did have to like this. This kind of like it's it's kind of like a tree, right? Like it just fans out to yep. to every of, of the views that needs to update. But some things needed throttling, and some things didn't need throttling. So, okay. for example, when you keep the totals of logs that are that are being logged, you don't have mm -hmm. to. You, know, you can't really throttle that. <laughs> you still need okay. to count all of the logs that are coming in. But the actual properties that are driving the UI need to be throttled. So for my so for my models that were being bound by combine, I had to for some of those, I have to I had to kind of like move away from the at published property modifier because this these drive every of these updates drives the whole the whole model right. to like yeah. And so I had to do custom custom say these and this and this properties when they're updated just have a did set on them and then bind the oh, data together and decide when to send an update to the UI based okay. on which they specifically were updated. So I kind of like split them. These things are real time. This is what updates the data model. These things are not real time. This is what drives the UI. And then this okay. kind of like turns on and off 
when you hit a certain amount of updates per second, then this turns off. I'm sorry, the throttling turns on, and then on, from there yeah. it adjusts to the amount. So wow, it was really. Awesome. I, that sounds like fun. I never had to do like this kind of UI self adjustment. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's yeah, basically yeah. like almost like the UI self aware, like, oh, you're logging too much. I'm not showing all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Before we, was there anything else you want to talk about technical with the app? I was going to talk about launching next. Right. No, I think I think we covered a lot of, of technical details, and people, I'm sure, have their limits too. Yeah. <laughs> listening about, <Definitely laughs> listening about check this app out. Like, go to the app store and get it and try it out. It's definitely worth a shot. So, before we close out, let's talk about that launching this app. So, how many? How many? You were mentioning earlier you've like you're big into building like small apps often. How 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 long how is this different? And then at what point were you like, okay, this is actually going into the app store? Right. So I think last year I think I've built a whole bunch of niche things, like solved one problem that I had. And it solved them and like I usually just like package them. Some of them I put on GitHub, some of them I just keep in a folder on my laptop. Yeah. And but like they oftentimes they just solve one problem and and I'm really not so sure if that's a problem that I had because of a certain way I do things or is it like yeah. something that people and without running like really user interviews you don't really know that but like this app it after I had the prototype and then after I thought like hmm, this is possible to actually happen in the sandbox with the sim this made me made me instantly see the possibility there for basically any iPhone developer to use it. Not every iPhone developer should use it or or could use it, but yeah. possibly anybody could. Yeah. Because it's a real use case for 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 something that people actually do. And once I saw that, productizing this, making it horrible, so to say, was, was really something that I wanted to do. Yeah. So so just to tell you, I've had this idea too. So you're not the only one who's come up with this. My idea was more doing it in the terminal, but like the same idea, like totally. But I think as a Mac app, you you get you get away with it. it makes a lot more sense than doing it in the terminal. But yeah, it's it's a really good idea. What did you face any issues with getting this besides sandboxing? Besides that, what did you face any issues launching this app and getting it out there? Right, so so I, so I had a few back and forths with App Review naturally. Okay, I was gonna ask, but yeah, it was but it was a night. It was like a it was a neat coincidence that just before I was submitting, Apple had this round of the one on ones. Office They're not hours. the one on ones. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Hours. The office hours over Zoom, and and and, uh, and I applied for like every single one like topic that yeah. they had open, yeah. and they got approved for a couple of them. Those and. That was really great experience. I, I can only recommend it to other people because Agreed. Um, yes. in the in the application form, you you just enter your use case, possible questions, link to the app store, and since the beta was already there, like people could just people on the team could also just grab it and, and try it out and see what it's all about. And so, yeah. jumping on the Zoom call, people have already tried it, already had ideas, already had some answers, and we could just really use the time in the past possible way. And I have yeah. only positive feedback for that. And so they helped me also with app review, how to frame. So this was a, this was an app review one-on-one -on -one that you had. I had one one-on-one -on -one about the app store and one about um, 
it was i forgot the framing it was like a technical assistance okay. kind of thing yep yep and so gotcha. one the one that was about the app store i had exactly i, I wrote them in the application form i just wrote them that like it's a developer tool it's kind of a difficult setup it requires to work with xcode i don't know how to frame this on on the app store page and also how to introduce this to the to the app review team so mm-hmm. can you help me guide me a little bit in in that process and so they did and so they did help me understand what were the limitations regarding showing Xcode and screenshots and the sim and screenshots and so forth. So this kind of like uh, topics that are they're sensitive for Apple in the App Store. And, and they're not really easy to navigate. If you if you need to send a request to, to the review team, then get an email back on the next day, then you send an email back on the next day and so forth. So this could take some time, I know from experience. And yes. being able to talk in the real time on Zoom, show people, share screen, this was just amazing. So it did yeah. help. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I agree. It's take advantage of them. Try to get try to come into it with a good list of questions or discussion topics, but they are totally invaluable. They they know not so much app review. Well app review is super helpful, but more in like Oh, I got a Swift UI question or a design question. They know they use that stuff and they know how it works. They're going to come up with great answers for you. So yeah, I agree completely. It's, it's very invaluable. The last thing was I mentioned, I never used the technical support. They're called incidents. I think that you can send mm-hmm. to Apple. Yeah. When I was trying to make the system log work, I thought, well, maybe I should write them. I never did that before. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did. And the emails that came back that I was completely floored because yeah. this person called the Quinda Eskimo, he answers the weirdest questions, the most difficult questions on the forums. Yes. He wrote me back and he said like a few emails that were like pages long. He was like, I see the problem. I've tried and tried this. Here is a project that I made in Xcode that this is this problem, but there's no solution in this way that you're looking for. This is the things I've tried and here's the code. And so I was really, I was really amazed. So this is something that I also recommend to people. Yeah. I was just, it was out of this world. So this was how great. Much do you, how many do you get per, per year? Is it like two of those? Two. You get, so you get two, yeah. And, and I've been on the App Store for 12 years, so this is yeah. 24 that I didn't use. <laughs> so I've it used, makes no you know sense. what? I've used a couple in the last year, and mostly it ends up being like I'll talk to someone, and they'll mm-hmm. be like, "Oh, you have to do the, you have to file a ticket. Don't worry, it's a freebie." That's usually mm-hmm. what ends up being. So I've actually used a couple, couple of them, and they were freebies because I needed a, what is it like a access <laughs> to a specific new entitlement. Or like, like I had one-on-one and they're like, oh yeah, we couldn't fix this, but here, file a DTS and we'll take care of it. So yeah, yeah. So they're, they are, they'll, they'll give you an answer that at least I'll say that. So yeah, totally useful. Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about before we close out? I don't know. That's great. I, it was a great chat. I think it's nice time to wrap up. Yeah, if people want to try out the app, where can they find it? Well, they, if they search for data tile, it's just one word on the App Store, they will find out the app right away. Yeah, give it a try. Yeah, yeah. thank you so much, Marin, for coming on. Again, you're, you're a fountain of lots of information and experience, so it's great to have you on. Where can people find you online? Yeah, my website is underplot.com, like the word underplot, and there's all the links. Yep, and we'll have his uh, Twitter and Mastodon and everything else in there as well in the show notes. So definitely take a look and enjoy. I don't know how often you blog, like what, once a week, pretty much. So you can see all his little apps and all his valuable uh, blog posts there. 
Thank you, Marin. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. This was this was fun. I'm I'm really glad to see you again too. Yeah, same here. People can find me on Twitter at leogdion at leogdion at c.im is my mastodon. You can also find me on LinkedIn. All the social media links are in the show notes. My company is Break Digit. Please take some time to review this podcast. And if there's any topics you want me to cover, let me know. And also like and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube. Thanks again, and I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye, everyone.